Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Again, we are so glad um, that each one of you are here. I, I, I just appreciate you coming together in the name of the Lord. We draw strength one from another. And I, I know that um, we uh, do our best every time that we meet to help lift you up and encourage and strengthen you. And, but it doesn't stop there. Everyone in here, it strengthens us. And so even being ministers, we stand in the front and we preach. And, and, but your life, your life being with us encourages and strengthens each one of us. And we thank the Lord. We thank the Lord for all of our teachers and preachers. Amen? We thank the Lord for, uh, hey, we're, we're glad to be in that uh, community center again. <laughs> that was good the other night. That we're all together in one sort of a place. And we thank the Lord for that. Hallelujah. Our God is so good. I'm uh, going to attempt to preach this morning. I, I, I think I set a record last week of the shortest message that I've preached. And I don't know when. And I didn't even get any compliments for that. Nobody went out of here and said, thank you for not preaching very long. Nobody even did that. I mean, it was amazing. But... um We'll try this morning. I guess if I can get to the meat of it uh, before the hours waste away, it, it does become a little shorter. But but I just want to bring you what the Lord has just placed in our heart this morning. And I believe that it will touch your heart. How many remember what we talked about last week? All thanks. All thanks. All thanks. It's because <laughs> we all, have all things that we deal with in our life. This morning, I want to kind of spin off of that a little bit. I'm going to talk about just, just one thing this morning. Not all things, but just one thing. One thing. I want to start in the book of Psalms, a psalm of David, the 27th psalm, the fourth verse of the 27th Psalm. If you haven't read this Psalm in a while, maybe this week, mark it down. I'm going to go back and read that 27th Psalm. It's familiar, but, you know, we forget some of the content of things if we don't stay up on it and read them. It starts out, the Lord is my light and my salvation. It's that Psalm. And it ends with, wait, I say, on the Lord. And we sing that song, love that. It uh, actually probably comes out of this psalm. But the fourth verse, David speaking directly. One thing have I desired of the Lord. That will I seek after. Here it is that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord 
and to inquire in his temple. One thing. Nobody say one thing. We did this last week. We said all things. One thing I have desired. One thing I have desired. Just one thing. If you go with me then into the New Testament, I want to look in the book of Mark, the 10th chapter, and just pull out the 21st verse of the 10th chapter to take our thought here. And looking at him, Jesus loved him and said to him one thing, thou lackest, we King James terminology, one thing is lacking to you. Go and sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me, taking up the cross. Just, just one thing, not a whole bunch of things. Just one. So I want to talk about that this morning. Lord, help us in this. Amen. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we ask you now, just anoint your word. I pray that as I speak, that it won't just be my thoughts. Lord, that it will be connection with the Spirit of God. Because the Spirit and the Word, they are in conjunction, agreed. All Scripture is written by inspiration and breath of God, Spirit of God. So, Lord, as we preach this morning, I pray that that same Spirit would minister to us and we'll receive the Word of God in these fleshly bodies and minds that we'll receive the Word of God. And we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. We look at the plethora of we would call all things in our life. And let me ask you this question. Can one thing make a difference in your life? Can just, just one thing. We're so diverse in what we do, varied in our goings and doings. <coughs> we are all employed differently. We all have different things that we typically do. Um, I learned this when I became a son-in-law. I was raised a certain way, and I, I advised my, my, my children. I advised them this way, and I also advised my grandchildren that when you take on another family, their ways aren't necessarily the, exactly the way that you did it. And there has to come some adaption in your life for that because... You've done it one way, you thought it one way, and there's a lot of different ways to get to the same place. And so you have to negotiate some of those things and, and try to, to put your, your ideas back. And, and I can remember doing this several times in my life. I love Jess Stinson. What a great, great man. He just didn't do things the way I do them. And so we would, we would I just... I would go home and, and tell Kay and say, I just, I can't do it his way. But he couldn't do it my way either. We're diverse in what we do. In all the diverseness of our life, it seems like that, you know, that could drive us apart. That could separate us. Or, or we can look at each other and, 
and just say this about us, that we're diverse and, and we vary in some of our customs, some of the things that we like as families, some of the things that we are. And But is there just one thing that can connect us? And I believe that there is this morning. And so not just all things. If we look at a person's life and all things that you are, I may not be, but there is one thing. I've seen people lose a good name over just one thing. I've seen people live their life and doing well had a rapport about them. This is a good, honest man. This is a hard-working, good, honest man. And see them leave their family, abandon their children, and that one move, that one thing defined their life. One thing can make a difference in your life. And on the other hand, I've seen that people have done one thing that brought honor to their life. I've been around people that, that I had to honor them for just something that they did was so extraordinary, and it just seemed that, that it couldn't be done. They did it, and it brought honor upon them. There's one thing in your life. You can be going with all the diversity and all the things that are going on, all things going on in your life, and there can be one thing which can define you either in the positive or the negative. That people will look at you in a, in, a, in a good light or they'll look at you in a bad light. How many of us have seen preachers that have failed? I just want you to put your hand up if you know and been around a preacher who has failed. Yeah, just about everybody. Just about everybody. Let me know. I want to let you know this, that preachers are men. They're not angels. I know you think I am, but we're not angels. We just, we're just trying to, to do the will of the Lord. You get off and in yourself. You, it's, it's, there's, there's no stop to where you can go when you get in yourself. And, uh, you know, for, we've, seen, we've seen good, honorable men go wrong. Uh, let me talk to you about David just a minute. In the Psalm 27, we read about him. What a, what a great man this was. David's life, you can begin with him. The Scripture begins with him. I've read his story many times, and when I get to the end of his life, I cry. You get so involved in this man, the intrigue in his life, the adventure that's in his life, the things that happen from the, from the time he was just a kid. We pick him up out in the sheepfold, and he's taking care of sheep, but but he's not just taking care of sheep. He's killing lions and killing bears while he's taking care of sheep. I mean, this guy's life is, it's almost, you, you would think it's folklore that these things couldn't really happen that David had. So, but the Bible is accurate and right. Say amen. I'm not going by history. I'm going by the Bible. And so David's life um, He's the one man that we know of in the Bible that stood out against a giant and killed the giant. And so we have this great rapport of David being a hero. He is a man. He's a man's man. He is a warrior now. 
He's anointed of God now. Samuel comes out, pours all of his... I mean, his life is just on and on with great, wonderful things. And when you read his life, it's exciting. And you're thinking, wow, a man in God's hands can really do a lot of things that is just really out of the ordinary. It's just extraordinary. <coughs> David served as, as king when he finally became king. He was anointed for 15 years, I believe it was. He ran from Saul. He was already anointed king. And he's doing exploits when he's running from Saul. I mean, the hand of the Lord is upon him. He's, he's a mighty man and a good man. First Kings, the 15th chapter. And David did right in the eyes of the Lord and turned not aside from anything that he had commanded him all the days of his life. And I think about that, what a good man, the Psalms, so many of the Psalms are written. I love to read the Psalms, and, and I think of David and his anointing and how close he was to the Lord. Have you ever wrote a Psalm? And here we are walking in the New Testament with the rabbi, and, and he's in an Old Testament time where he is removed, but yet his heart is, is so compelled towards God that he, he writes these amazing psalms that, that we take now. They are not just 2,000 years ago good. They are good right now. And we go back and we live in some of that because you get discouraged and down. And I'll tell you what, you get into David and he was discouraged and down and he lifted himself up in the Lord and he would write things that inspire us even today as we walk as Christian individuals. He was not even, even privileged to be a Christian. Christ had not even come. And yet he had this heart for God. His heart, and, 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 and the scripture said about him that, that, that he had, that God loved him, that he had a heart after God, and God had a heart after David. Let me finish the rest of 1 Kings 15, 5. He turned not aside from anything that, he had, that God had commanded him all the days of his life. Save! Only in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. Lord, why did you have to put that back in there? We were doing really good. One thing caught David. We know that he was in the wrong place at the right time, or at the wrong time, right? He was on his housetop when the kings, it says plainly, and the kings were going to war. Where was David? He should have been with the kings, right? No, he's on the housetop. He's in the wrong place at the wrong time. Gets the wrong ideas. And it began to escalate from there, right? He took Uriah the Hittite's wife who came to him when he was hiding from Saul. One of his best friends took his best friend's wife and then had him basically murdered. And so this did not come short of God seeing this action. Even though David is, you know, he, he's a man that God loves and, and David loves God, yet this one action in his life 
stands out in infamy in his life. Begin to think about failure, and none of us like failure. None of us want failure in our life. It's a horrible, disastrous thing. David has a disaster now in his life. But one thing he desires, one thing he desires, and that will he seek after, but not now. Now murder is hanging in his heart. He's stolen. He's, he's taken his best friend's wife. He, he, has, he has done the despicable. I don't believe David can live with himself. He's sickened by what he's done. The prophet comes to him, Nathan. And gives him that example of a man that had many sheep, but when a visitor came, he took the little one sheep from the man who only had one sheep, and David said, he deserves to die. Nathan turned to him and said, you are the man. Can you imagine his heart now? His heart is, is broken now. You begin to read the Psalms, and he begins to cry out. I think it's the 51st Psalm. Oh, God. God, forgive me. God, forgive me. Don't take your spirit away. Don't let me be cast away, Lord. Because still in his heart, we go back to the 27th Psalm. And one thing will I seek after, even though he has fallen. The great has fallen now. He's, he's come down. He's, he's ruined. His reputation is garbage now. Do you want a king? Do you want a leader who will commit adultery with his best friend, then have his, his best friend murdered. And his reputation now is wasted. It's gone. He's ruined. But David understands something that I wish a lot of Christians understood. We're not hoping for failure in anybody's life, right? But David understood something. That if I can get back to the one thing, not the all things, so all things are happening in David's life, and all things are going to ruin him. And he can't deal with all things, but if he can get back to one thing, if he can get back to the 27th Psalm, and I don't know when he wrote this. It may have been prior to this. It may have been after this. But one thing is still in his heart, and this is why David will conquer over his trouble. That's why David won't lay in the gutter. He falls in the gutter, but he will get up because he's got one thing that's planted in his heart. And let me tell you this, church, this morning, that if you have something that is planted in your heart, that one thing in your heart, it doesn't matter what comes in all things. The one thing is going to supersede and it's going to lift you up. Amen. And so, <coughs> David, David, the man, the man who failed God, and said, God, I've sinned against you, and you alone have I sinned against. That man, that man, there's such resolve in him to get back to the one thing. And I encourage you this morning, if you're going through something, if you have...
feel like that, that, that failures have been in your life, let me lead you to the one thing this morning. That, that will I seek after and that my heart will seek after. And, and I'm not letting go of that. I'm, I'm going to continue that I could come before Him and see the beauty of our Lord. And, and in essence, what He's saying is I want to connect with the Lord, that's why that's the one thing in my heart is that I've got to connect with the Lord. All He knows is going down to the temple. All He knows is just being there when they're doing the priestly duties and the sacrifice. That's all He knows. But if I can get there, I know that I can connect to the beauty of the Lord. And that He does. Jesus, Yeshua, our Savior, our Rabbi, our Lord, is born in the city where? The city of David. That's not an accident. Jesus is in the direct lineage. Jesus takes on the title, the son of David. He's not ashamed of it. He's not ashamed to be of the lineage of David. He's not ashamed to be born in the house in the city of David. And Jesus will talk about David over and over. He will quote the Psalms. He will talk about David because he's not going to look now at David being in all things. He's looking at David in the one thing. And the one thing that David sought after was to see the beauty of the Lord. And that's the great thing, is that all things can be happening. But at the same time, there's one thing that's going to keep me tethered. Can you say amen? One thing that's going to keep me anchored. If you've ever gone through some life-altering disasters, and I've been through a few, a couple in my life, that I didn't know if I was going to be able to bear it. But I found out that in those times, there's just one thing that's going to keep me. It's not a bunch of things and when the stars line up and everything goes right. It's not about that. There's one thing and that's a, I am seeking to see the beauty of the Lord. And that's going to keep us. Can you say amen? I want to kind of look at the opposite of this in Mark 10, and that's why we chose this um, setting of Scripture in, in Mark 10. We call him the rich young ruler. <coughs> he evidently... Uh, Usually when they said ruler, it was about Sanhedrin. He could have been in the Sanhedrin. He could have been a ruler of a synagogue. There, there's a couple of different terms he used as ruler. I'm telling you, everybody wants to be this guy. Rich. They say, ah, that stuff doesn't bother me. Get out of there. What are you out there working for? Cracker Jacks? Trying to get ahead, right? I mean, that's, that's in us. Young. 
And I can speak from where I'm at right now. And some of these guys say, I'm getting old and they're about 30. You don't have any idea, brother man. You know, my dad constantly tells me, getting old's not good. All right. Well, there's one alternative. (laughs) Rich, young, ruler. Wow. He's got it all. This is what he's been striving for. I read a story about a guy who wanted to be a millionaire. He lived in Oregon. And so he set out to be a millionaire, and then he, he did it. He got there through business dealings and so on and so forth. And uh, he lived as a millionaire for a little bit, and he figured something out. He figured out, I fought to get here. Now I'm fighting to stay here to try and protect the million that I got. So he had a brilliant idea, and I like it. He said, I'm going to give it all away. Buy myself a cabin in the woods and give the rest of it away. And that's what he did. And he was very content. Isn't that amazing? We all strive to get the the almighty dollar, right? And when you finally get there, it's not what you thought it was. Mm -hmm. So this rich young ruler has got everything. He has a cushy life, let's say. He probably has servants. He's got, he doesn't have to cook meals. He He just runs his business, whatever it is. And he's one of those that, that is just, he's got a golden spoon, a silver spoon in his mouth, right? And so, but he knows one thing is that there's a lack in his life for he doesn't know about his eternity. So being a good Jewish man, he, they talk about heaven. Why didn't he go down to the priest and ask the priest? The priest could tell him, come in to the priest, have a conference with the priest. What, what do I do to inherit eternal life? And the priest would tell him what to do. He comes to Jesus, and, and I like this. He, he, he comes in running to him, skids in on his knees, Good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, here's the one point that we've been working on recently. You can't do anything to inherit eternal life. What one good deed do I need to do? Because because in in the flesh mind and the carnal thinking is that merit thing. We earn everything, right? You don't get anywhere without earning it. Well, Jesus earned eternal life. And he gives eternal life. You don't buy it from him. You don't earn it from him. He gives eternal life. He turns to those who are sick and broken and sinful. He washes them, cleanses them, and then gives to them a gift of eternal life. Great. Jesus has an answer for him. And really the answer is in the first part as much as it is in the last part. Why do you call me good? There is only one good, and that is the one God. He's setting him up. This man believes that the Jewish religion is good enough. And so Jesus says, well, what what have you... 
What, have you kept the commandments? Oh, Lord, I've kept the commandments. I've, I've done all of that stuff. And so this guy is trusting in the Jewish system, and the Lord is telling him, there's only one way. There's only one thing. There's only one God that this is going to work through. Why do you call me good? In other words, if you just knew who the good one was, and so as the process goes on, and Jesus tells him, one thing thou lackest. One thing thou lackest. And so we've preached for years, and preachers have preached all over the country for years, that what the man needed to do was sell everything, that it was about money, it was about riches. It wasn't all about riches. There was one thing he lacked, and it came from the first answer. There's only one God, and you're not going to find it in the Jewish system. You're going to find it standing here in front. You came in and skidded on your knees, and you're asking the one who has eternal life in his hand. What must I do? Where do I go? How do I get it? And you've run full face onto the one who gives eternal life. <coughs> go sell what you have and give it to the poor, and you'll have treasure not on the earth, but you have treasure up in heaven. Amen. And then... After you've done that, you come and you take up your cross and you follow me. See, it's the same solution no matter who you are, where you are. You can be the sick one in the gutter. You can be the one that has leprosy. You can be the little woman who was with a, with a, 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 a blood problem. You can be the person who has been a liar, a cheater, Zacchaeus, you, it's the same solution. Eternal life is in only one place. Come and follow me. Take up your cross and follow me. This is why the young man went away sorrowfully. He had great possessions, but he didn't want to follow Jesus. He wanted all things. He didn't want just one thing. And God is calling us to one thing that's important in our life. You might think that finances are important in your life. They are not important in your life. Sure, we use them to feed our family and clothe our children and all those things that we do. But let me tell you, when it all burns down, when it all comes to nothing, when the economy fails and, and when everything goes to disaster, we hope that doesn't happen. But if it does, you're still, if you're connected with the one thing, that isn't going to bother your eternal spiritual life in Jesus Christ. And so we preach one thing. Can you say amen? We believe one thing. So, well, Pastor, look at you. You, you, you. You're involved in, you know, building and, and going and doing. And, and there's a lot of things in your life. Yes, there's a lot of things in my life. But there is one thing that is primary. Come on, say amen. There's one thing that's necessary in my life. There's one thing that if I don't do that, if I don't stay in that, then nothing else, all things are not going to matter in my life if I don't take care of the one thing. So I want to I want to liken this event of Jesus and the rich young ruler. And as we do taking out of uh, the scripture, we're going to draw a parallel between that young man and the church of 2022. Is that okay? See that 
the parallel is, is that the church is drunk on power and position. And, and now we're not there. I, you know, I'm not even preaching to the choir. I'm just, I'm just saying what's around us. The church feels like that we need inroads to government. That if somehow we can position ourselves, the government will not bother us. And we, we come in front of you at sometimes because there's legislation right now that would, would, would hurt Christianity and our freedoms. And I don't want that. But somehow we feel like that if we can get power, if we can elect people that are, are good, moral, decent people that somehow will be protected as a church. Has it worked yet? Because this is where the church is at. If we can connect with City Hall, if we can be favorable downtown, if, if, if somehow people, we can get some, some power and position for the church, then, then we can help the church. And I'm not sure that that's helping the church. And we're blinded by wealth and possessions. Listen, God didn't establish a church to build bigger, more beautiful, more fancy buildings. That is not what God intended for the church. But we're blind with possessions, money, um, um, salaries, and, and livings for, for men who call themselves men of God. And then, then big buildings and big places and, and bigger than what the world has and more fancy than what them. We are blinded to think that God would have any concern at all about that kind of stuff. He doesn't care one lick how pretty the building is. The church is just blinded by aspirations of growing bigger and wealthier. And then the church is claiming the deserved blessings for all of those who contribute to the church. That God owes to you and that God is going to give to you and if you give to me that God is going to give back to you and I am just I'm fed up with it there is no scriptural basis that if you give to me that God's going to make everything cushy in your life and we've left the moorings of the gospel we've left what giving is about giving being appreciation to God to giving being something that we acquire from people and manipulate people to get and then we promise eternal life to the contributors. I have no right to promise you eternal life. I don't have the access to do that. I don't have the power to do that. I cannot tell you this morning that you're saved. And I'm not going to do it. I can't tell you this morning that you have a home in heaven. Because I don't, I don't have the power to do that for you. But if the church would slide up, see Jesus in the road, and the church would come falling on its knees and say, good master, what must we do to have eternal life? It's going to be the same exact message that he gave to the rich young ruler. He's going to tell the church, get rid of the fancy junk, get rid of the possessions, get rid of the stuff. 
get rid of the power, get rid of all of that, and then come and follow me. Take up your cross. This is a message of the end day. The message is not prosperity. Prosperity is blinding the gospel. There is one truth. There is one thing that God defines this as. And it's about Jesus. It's about following him. It's about loving him, caring about him, caring about his kingdom, caring about his gospel, caring about his people. Can you say amen? Amen, amen. amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise right there. Hallelujah. We need to remember as a church, if God allows us to build, if God allows us a place, that he doesn't come there and dwell because it's beautiful. But he comes there to dwell because we've got one thing right. We might have a lot of other things that may, that may not be exact. Well, I'm telling you what, I, I wonder sometimes I thought, 25 years ago that I had all my ducks in a row. I thought 15 years ago that I now really have all my ducks in a row. I thought 10 years ago, boy, I just, I've almost eclipsed perfection now. And I thought last year, I will never move from what God has established and God has done, and this is the provision of God. And, and what I've learned is there's just one thing. Come on, say amen. There's just one thing that matters. None of that junk matters. My ideas and philosophies and all the things that I come up with and, and try and do as a pastor and as a church really don't matter. All the dressings, all, all the things that we think have to happen in church do not matter. It doesn't matter how our song arrangement is it doesn't matter how our preaching timing is none of that stuff matters what matters is that we get one thing and we get that one thing right and that one thing is Jesus you've got to be glorified in your church in your people in your house if you're not glorified we are wasting our time being here just wasting time throwing it away if he's not honored and praised and adored amen Amen, amen, amen. Well, I did such a good job of being short last time. I don't know. The Lord's just moving on me on that, so so sorry. Let us not forget Simeon and Anna. They were down at the same church that the rich young ruler went to. He didn't get it, but they did. Simeon said, I'm just waiting just for one thing. He picks up that baby Jesus and holds him in his arms and something inside of his spirit said, this is it. This is the one. This is the one thing you've been waiting for, Simeon. And old Simeon looked up to God and said, now you could take me home now. My eyes have seen the glory. This is what I've been waiting for. Just this one thing, Anna, who waited daily in the temple, who just praying, waiting, didn't know exactly, but when the Christ child came in through the door, Mary and Joseph carrying him in there, 
Her heart was smitten. She knew that this was the one thing that she'd been waiting for. In fastings and prayer, there's only one thing she was waiting. She wasn't waiting for a miracle. She wasn't waiting for a blessing. She wasn't waiting for financial windfalls. She was waiting for one thing to happen, and that was the Lord to come into his temple. And I will tell you this morning, if we're looking for anything else to happen in church, besides the Lord appear in his temple, we again are wasting our time. We've been waiting, Lord. What have we been waiting for? Oh, we've been waiting for another jump and a shout. And I'm not against jumping and shouting, but it better be for the one cause and the one reason. Can you say amen? Just don't forget about the Magi. We went last night to hear a, you know, like Christmas. I like Mass. I don't like, you know, anyway. Um, and I'm expecting, I said, well, we're going to hear a bunch of Santa Clauses now. But these guys kept, they stayed right in the gospel. It was really good. Except for the 12, what was it, the 12 days of Christmas. That was awful. But, but, but anyway, they just kept bringing the Lord and his birth. And, and even though we know this most likely is not the timing of his birth, but yet they kept bringing that and, and saying the Lord came. And he brought salvation and, and, the, and the Lord came. It was good. It was, it was, it was good. It was, it was refreshing. It was renewing. Even in that, um, these magi traveled from, from a great, great distance. And I, I want you to know something. That, that traveling then was not getting on a jet plane and coming home. Now, Rick, Donna's coming home tonight. And we pray the Lord to just be with her. But you're in California. And, and in, the, in the evening, you come home. Uh, these guys traveled uh, and I tried to figure it out. It was, I think it was over 500 miles that they traveled, and you're going by camel. I don't know how fast camels go, but I don't think they go very fast. I don't think it's a very good trip. Through some rough territory, rain and sleet and snow and hail, and, and you know it's not going to stop the mailman. It didn't stop the Magi either. The Magi had one thing. And their one thing was not to find out about a star. It was to find out the Lord who was under the star. That's some great people. Didn't lose their focus. And we find them there. Got there with the baby child. And what a wonderful time that was. Don't forget about the uh, pearl merchant, rather. The pearl merchant, he was just after just one pearl of great price. Amen? He was looking at all of them. But he knew he would just focused on one. And don't forget Mary and Martha. And Mary did not lose that one good thing. So let me ask you, is it possible through all the noise of Christianity that's going on all around us, all the dogmas and doctrines and traditional procedures that go on everywhere around us, that someone or someones could actually get to the bottom of this mess and find the very crux of the matter. You're going to have to get dig down in most places to find it. You're not going to find one thing. You're going to find a lot of things. Well, we got a lot of directions, and we minister. We've got all these ministries, and we do this and that and the other and, and every kind of thing. 
But when we finally get to the crux of the matter, we find out that this whole thing is about one thing. That it's not the sum of the parts. It's, I, don't, I don't like that. That all the sum of the parts, we put it together and there's Jesus. No, Jesus stands alone. And everything else is just part and peace. He's center. He's the one thing. Can you say amen? Amen. I'm almost done, so we'll, so we'll, we'll, we'll press forward here just a little bit. That's why Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4 is just going to talk about one thing. I'm not so sure that Paul or the Lord was trying to set indoctrination in here as much as he was trying to tell us there's just one thing. Contend for, be ready to guard and defend the oneness of the Spirit of God in the bond of peace. Somebody said, the Bible doesn't say oneness. No, you're wrong. You're absolutely wrong. This Greek word used, it's been shaded to say unity because the translators thought it was about us bringing unity to each other. No, it's about guarding the oneness. Everybody say amen. Are you oneness? Yes. Yes, I am. I'm a guard of the oneness, and so are you. How do we guard it? Well, we don't let other people come in and, and do away with it. So we guard it. We keep it in place, right? Guard the oneness of the Spirit. No, no, we guard the unity. Brother, we're just unity, brother. Man, we're just unity. No, that's not what we're here to do. We're here to guard the oneness of God. Because in God, there is one thought in God. See, I don't like this, this plethora of different thoughts. And, and, and I don't like the, the, the whole thing about different people and different dimensions. There's one thought in God. And so what we guard as ministers and preachers of the gospel of Jesus Christ is the oneness of God. And so he will go on to say, there's one body. There's one spirit. One Lord. And this is not plus, plus, plus. This is speaking to the same issue. Oneness. One body, one spirit, one Lord, one faith. One baptism. I don't want to stumble there, but let's go on. One God who is Father of all, and, and I like this because it uses that same Greek word, pantai, that we used last week, panta. This is pantone. One Father over all things. But we just got one thought. And one Lord. Can you say amen? One faith. One spirit. One Lord. And so that's why we guard the oneness of God. Because if we don't, it gets out of focus. No, we got a lot of different things going on. No, here's the Lord Jesus. Here's the Holy Spirit over here. He's doing something over there. Lord Jesus is doing something over here. And God Father is doing something back there somewhere. I don't know where he is. And But no, 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 no. No, they're just 
one thought in God. You don't have to know anything besides Jesus Christ. Oh, no, I have to know about fathers and spirits and things. No, 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 no. You just have to know one thing. And that is the name of salvation to you and I. And that is Yeshua, God himself, Yahweh, who has become Savior in a body whose name on the earth is Yeshua, whose name now in the heaven is Yeshua. We call on him as Rabbi, Lord, Spirit, Father. There's just one place to go, and I'm protecting the oneness of him this morning. I belong to Rabbi Jesus, period. Period. And so I'm not going to roll up my sleeves and get in a fight with anybody about it. It's just mysteries of God are revealed. We were talking about this the other day, and it just re- I, I just remembered this verse. Great is the mystery of God, Father and Christ. Father, progenitor, and Christ, that which has been progenitorated. And great is this mystery. Now, I want to tell you, every mystery in God, listen to me real close right now. Every mystery in God is a revelation of Jesus Christ. You, get a, you, you understand a mystery of God that's not a revelation of Jesus Christ, don't tell me about it. I don't want to hear it. And every one of those is one at a time. He's not pouring on to you more than you can understand. He's not pouring on to you more. He did that with the disciples. He said, I've got things I need to tell you, but I can't tell you now. You can't bear it. But as we grow in the Lord, as we live and understand the mystery of God, each thing that God uncovers, and it is a, a Proverbs, I remember Proverbs 25, 2, it is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but that it is the beauty of kings. It's the beauty of us to uncover that. It will ultimately each time expand our knowledge and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Can everybody say amen? Everybody that's ready to leave, say amen. Okay, we just got one. Dad, you can go. He didn't hear me right. <clears throat> so, all Bible knowledge, all studies of antiquity and history, all of our church attendance and church practice should work to produce one thing in our life. The quest to become personally involved with the Lord, Savior, Rabbi, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. How simple can it get? I can't give it to you any more simple this morning and say there's just one thing. And we're all so worried about if we can get all of the ducks in a row. And there's just one duck. It's not too hard to get one duck in a row, is it? That's all you need. One thing. And that will I seek after. Just one thing. So we, we come down from all the hustle bustle, worry and fret, and realize that there's just one purpose for us. That's just to know Him. That's it. 
Well, can't we venture out further than that? I don't want to get out further than that. I just want to stay with the one thing. How many just wants to stay with the one thing this morning? God bless you. God bless you. So I heard this interview, and I'm going to share this, and we're going to be done. I heard this interview on Dr. Dobson years ago, and I've shared this before, so probably some of you have heard it, some of you haven't. I was sitting on a tractor. We were out on a job, and I had headphones on, and I was dialed in. I think Dustin might have been there, and Rodney, and I was bawling. Uh, in this interview, I had uh, was listening to it. It's KBIP, Dr. Dobson. What did they call that show? I forgot. Focus on the family. And they did interviews of different people, and, and here come on this guy. He was in his 50s now, I think. And and he said, well, um, let me just give you the crux of the interview. He began to talk to him about it. He loved the Lord and was living his life. I think he was preaching then, but he grew up in a preacher's house and began to talk about that. This preacher was, he was all about ministry protocol and procedure and made sure that he was doing all the ministry stuff. Didn't have too much time for the kids, too much time for the family, but he was sure that he was doing all the stuff about ministry, going to all their meetings, going to all, you know, he was, he had become one of the bigger, I don't know if he was a presbyter or what, but he was an important man in his church and in their movement. And the further longer this went on, the more he kind of distanced himself from the family. And uh, this guy that was giving the uh, interview said he was, a, he was a great football player. He said, he, I think he was all-state linebacker. He said, I stood on the field for the first time as a senior in high school. I saw my dad come into the stands, and he was with his preacher friends. When they came in the stands, he said, I began to cry out on the field, just bawling. It's the first time my dad had ever showed any kind of interest. He said, I looked back up, and he was gone. He just stayed a couple of minutes, left with his preacher friends. It wasn't too long after that that he left his wife. Not the man in the interview, but his dad, the preacher, left his wife. Went off with somebody else left the family. It was years after that that they he just had been distanced from his dad all these years and that his dad came back around. He actually moved him to the same town that he lived in so he could just, he was older and he was sort of taking care of him. Got a call one day and his dad was in ICU. Said, you better come in. He went in and he was in a coma. And he stood there over that bed and began to weep again. He said, it didn't have to be this way. Why? Why was it this way? You know, he was a good man. He was pastoring a church. Why, why did things go this direction? Why did this have to happen? And during that time, his dad died. Now he said, I was in the cemetery. He buried his dad. He said, I have to put something on his headstone. I can't put on there that he was a good husband. Okay, and he left my mom. He 
I can't do that. I can't put on there that he was a good dad. He left us, never showed us any interest. Came to a conclusion. I'm going to put on there. Here lies a preacher. I'll tell you the man's problem. He was involved in all things. But he was not involved in the one thing. God forbid that I or any of our ministers should ever get caught up in the all things and leave the one thing. Folks, there's only one thing that's important. That's it. That is it. It's that you know Him, and if you know Him, then you will love Him. And if you love Him, you will serve Him. This is one thing that is important in your life. You say, Pastor, you know, can one thing define me? Yes. Mistakes can define you. Problems can define you. Failures can define you. Or like David, we already used him. No, he gets up from there and the Lord exonerates David's life. Or people can look at you when you're gone and the impact you had is that you had one purpose and one thing in your life and that was to follow Jesus. And ultimately we hear, well done, one thing. Thou good and faithful servant. Amen? Would you stand with me? God bless you. Thank you for being here this morning. And I just poured out my heart what God had just delivered to me. I know we did all things last week. It was I, I enjoyed that. Took a little longer this morning on one thing. But I want to tell you what. There's just one thing that's going to keep you. There's just one thing that's going to make this life livable and tolerable. There's just one thing through all the things that are out there. There's one thing that you need in your life. One thing thou lackest. I don't want to lack that this morning. Amen? I want that one thing. Jesus, we love you, Lord. We praise you. We thank you, Lord, because the examples in Scripture that you've showed us all point to the same thing. And that is, Lord, what is it? We can go back to Deuteronomy 6. Love the Lord our God with all of our heart. There it is. This is the one thing. That's all it is, Lord. It's not all the, the trimmings of church, all the attendance that we do, Bible reading and prayer. It is one single thing, and that is that we love you with all of our heart and our might and our soul and our strength, Lord. God, so we bring it back there again. We ask everyone that's heard this morning that it will just lodge in the Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name.